Strange, and you are listening to Future Family Focus. Our goals on this show are to basically try to rebuild the division uh, within our homes so that we can give co-parenting a better foundation for, you know, basically our future generations to have a better family structure. Uh, today we'll be talking about issues concerning children in a divorce or custody case. And I want to first start by letting you know that the following information is not legal advice. It is not a substitute for legal representation by any attorney. And be aware that pro se litigants must follow the same rules as those represented by attorneys. So I want to start with divorce and custody cases. Sorry are more than an emotional event. It's also a legal proceeding. So failing to protect your rights during a case, as with any legal matter, can have serious long-term consequences. Uh, the most common issues resolved in a family ca uh, case include division of community property, debt, uh, and also determination of parental rights and child support. So. Although you have the legal right to represent yourself in any court proceeding, the process is complex, so my goal here is to help you alleviate those issues by giving you guidance through these series. And I'm going to try to do these probably you know, once a week on different topics throughout uh, the family court proceedings. So let's start by first explaining the word pro se and what that is. So what is pro se? What does that mean? And can it help can it help you? So pro se a pro se litigant is a person who appears on his or her own behalf in court without a lawyer. Whether you are pro se or represented by an attorney, there are specific rules and deadlines that you will be expected to follow. So some of those rules and deadlines will be addressed uh, throughout this series. Um, however, should you choose to represent yourself, you will also need to consult all relevant and current law, including the current version of the Texas Rules of Civil Procedure, the, also the Texas Civil Practice and Remedies Code, and then the, the Texas Family Code. Uh, and you can find all of those on my website. Uh, that website is www.future4family.com. Uh, that's my website. You can also get all your forms and legal questions or uh, guidance on www.texaslawhelp.org. So, let's get into this. So we're going to do this one on the issues regarding children involved in uh, the family law cases. Now, the first thing I want to start with is going to be the parenting plan. I, I believe in all my, all my clients, this is the first thing I start with. 
uh, and that's the parenting plan. So back in 2005, legislation uh, passed a law in Texas requiring the addition of a parenting plan in the final decree of divorce. Uh, the parenting plan includes the conservatorship rights of the parents, the visitation schedule, the child support, and also provides for other issues that may affect the child in order to minimize the risk of future disagreements. Uh, also, if you use my services for your case, this is, like I said, the first and most important thing I stress to accomplish. Uh, it basically allows a step to start communications with both parties uh, involving what matters and why you are in this position, and that's the children's rights. Um, another thing that I stress to everyone and try to try to share out there uh, to open your eyes to is most attorneys will bypass this parenting plan step um, because they know that if communication ever advances between mom and dad in a positive manner and responsible forward progress and communication, they know basically they will lose that control over your bank account. So if you can accomplish communication, then you will save thousands and thousands of dollars on both parts. I know, uh, for example, my, my divorce and custody hearing cost it right close to $20,000 over three years. Um, and a lot of my clients, a lot of people say that the courts are backed up and you have to have a lawyer uh, and it's going to, it's, you know, it's going to last forever. It's going to cost every, all this life savings, but that's, that's not true. All my clients were in and out of the courtroom and uh, almost every time less than six months. So... All that stuff is is bogus, uh, and a lot of it a lot of it is just false propaganda to get you to buy into the lawyer services because that's how they make their money. Um, so yeah, if you can accomplish communication, then you will save thousands. They're basically allowing more money uh, to be used for your children's food, clothing, school, medical. Whatever it is they need instead of what you need. Um, so that's that's basically what the parenting plan helps set up. Is that communication and forward progress for both parties. Getting everyone on the same page uh, as a start. Uh, okay, so next we have... Parenting coordinator and parenting facilitator. So what is that? So another creation of the 2005 legislator is the parenting coordinator. In a suit affecting the parent-child relationship, such as a divorce or custody or child support lawsuit, the court may appoint someone known as a parenting coordinator. It is the job of this coordinator to meet with the parents and to assist them in reaching agreements regarding their children. Um, and if you want to go this route, I would honestly do tons of research on on that coordinator. Um, 
you know, what cases they were involved in before, what the outcomes were, because if this coordinator's not getting both parents on the same page, then they're one-sided and they're usually representing whatever judge uh, facilitated that person. Um, and a lot of judges have their own agenda involving family cases, whether it be bias towards mothers, bias towards fathers, or, you know, uh, co-parenting. You want to try to find the ones that are pro-co-parenting. Um, so the difference between the coordinator and the facilitator is that the facilitator may be required to testify as to any communications they have had with both parties, as to the basis of their recommendations to the parties and as uh to the party's compliance with their recommendations. In addition, the parenting coordinator may also um, monitor the party's compliance with the court orders regarding the children. Parenting coordinator, on the other hand, may not be required to testify as to any communications they have had with both parties. So parenting coordinators and facilitators can serve as very effective tools especially in uh, those high-conflict cases, custody cases. Most parenting coordinators and facilitators are also mental health professionals or social workers who have lots of experience in working with those high-conflict uh, cases. So what, what, what does high-conflict mean? That's basically where, uh, let's say, for example, we got a divorce and mom has taken the kids and won't let dad see them um, because there's no current order legally granting those visitation rights. Um, so there's obviously going to be lots of anger on both sides or no communication on one side, uh, a lot of high emotions, um, they get, a lot of times those lead those type of high conflict cases lead to uh, domestic violence and, and that immediately destroys a case unless obviously it was uh, falsely accused um, so if a dispute arises in a case the parties generally attend a series of sessions with the parenting coordinator or facilitator in an attempt to resolve the dispute before any court action is taken. So that's why it's important to, to have a one of those coordinators or facilitators that are actually helping both parties communicate. If they're not doing that, then it's just trouble and waste of money and time. So definitely do your research on these people. Um, next, we're going to talk about the... So the duration of a child custody or child support order, basically how long does, does the order last? So Texas courts generally have jurisdiction to make orders regarding the support and conservatorship of a child, uh, basically until that child reaches the age of 18 or until that child graduates high school, whichever occurs later. 
However, this jurisdiction can be extended if the court determines that a child has physical or mental disabilities that exist prior, uh, basically prior to the child's 18th birthday. Uh, and the court determines that the child will not be capable of self-support. So if you have a uh, if you have a child that has any form of disability, it is important for you to consult with the judge in your case or the facilitators prior to the finalization of your divorce to ensure that you are preserving the rights for that disabled child. You can also uh, implement these in the parenting plan uh, to start things off. So that's always good. The parenting plan is in my opinion, the most important thing to, to start these, even if you're modifying. So that's another thing. The order, the orders last until they're 18 or, you know, past that. And sometimes in, into college. Um, however, if a modification is filed and reverse that order, then it can change. So now we're going to we're going to talk about child custody. So the court that handles a divorce proceeding also determines who shall have custody of any children from the marriage. The term custody in a divorce often serves as shorthand for who gets the children. The vast majority of parents are awarded joint custody. So they say I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, it has been a biased system uh, uh, that started a long time ago. But in a divorce, meaning that all rights and duties concerning the children are shared. In every case, however, the court must ultimately decide what custody arrangement is in the children's best interest. And that's the thing that a lot of lawyers don't really hit on. They kind of dangle the children out there as a as bait or a weapon to use against the other party, which helps helps the case. Um, it it helps elevate simple cases to high conflict cases. So that's allowing when a, when an attorney does that, that allows their paycheck it, it, for you to pay them more money over a longer period of time because they've caused different problems or more problems. <laughs> than what could have been solved by simple, simple solutions. Um, the legal term for joint custody is joint managing conservatorship. This arrangement is presumed to be in the best interest of the children of the marriage. However, even in the joint custody situation, the court must designate one parent who has the authority to determine the location of the children's primary residence, meaning where the child will live on uh, primarily. This parent would be called the primary joint, management, uh, joint managing conservator, also referred to as the custodial parent. The other parent would be uh, referred to as the non-custodial parent. Um, most primary joint managing conservators will decide that the children's primary residence is in the parent's home, in that parent's home, the custodial parent's home. 
The other, uh, the other parent is called the possessory conservator, or like I said, the non-custodial parent, because that parent has, uh, has the right to possession of the children at certain times, and is commonly referred to as a non-custodial parent. Aside from the decision regarding the location of the children's primary residence, most other major parenting decisions are shared between the primary and the non-custodial parent. The presumption under the law is that joint managing conservatorship is in the best interest of the children. Uh, in some rare circumstances, one parent may be appointed as a sole managing conservator. <clears throat> in that case, the other parent is still referred to as a possessory uh, conservator. Generally, this occurs only if uh, the other parent the possessory parent has been absent from the children's lives or there's a history of physical, psychological, or sexual abuse or neglect, drug abuse uh, by the other parent. Or if there is a history of extreme conflict between the parents over education, medical, or religious values. However, this does not mean that the other parent loses his or her right to visit uh, with the children. The only rights a sole managing conservator has over a primary joint uh, conservatorship relate to the sole right to make certain decisions uh, basically regarding the children's lives such as education, health, religion, other legal custody arrangements um, that can be ordered in a divorce basically including split custody in which one or more of the children live with one parent while the remaining children live with the other parent. And divided custody, also referred to as alternating custody, this form of custody allows each parent to have the child for alternating blocks of time, often every year or two years with equal visitation rights. Um, those legal arrangements are much less common. Judges are reluctant to order split custody in particular because of a firm belief that children should not be separated uh, from their brothers and or sisters. Um, so our next topic is going to be supervised visitation. If Basically what that is is if there has been a history of abuse or neglect, the court may require that any visitation by the abusive or neglectful parent be supervised. Uh, generally, courts will appoint a mutually um, agreed-upon family member or third party to supervise the periods of possession, and usually those are like in in like two-hour periods, three-hour periods, m maybe um, a whole you know during the daytime, um, but never overnight periods. Uh, the basically the periods of possession will appoint a supervision facility to conduct the supervision. And then we're going to go into the right to decide where a child will live. <clears throat> Basically, as discussed above, only one parent may have the right to establish the primary residence of the children. The parent who is named the primary joint managing conservator or the custodial parent will typically be restricted geographically on where they can reside with the children. 
This geographic restriction will be listed in the final decree of divorce and will usually restrict the residence of the children to the county in which the children resided prior to the divorce. If both parties still reside in the same county or the county where the divorce is pending. Courts will, courts will sometimes expand uh, the geographic restriction to also include the counties that are uh, contiguous or adjacent to the restricted county. And I'm going to go ahead and end this one, this episode here. The next one, we're, we're going to go over support orders and different types, what basically what they all mean. Uh, and I'm going to kind of step into these it, uh, basically for beginners. So I'm going to go over all the basic stuff first, and then we'll get into how to handle cases, how to do the paperwork, uh, how to file, all that good stuff. Uh, I'm also thinking about making a video podcast so that we can go over those. You can see in person how to do a lot of these things. So my name is Billy Strange, and I want to throw a uh, a bonus. I also want to throw a bonus to all of those who struck, who stuck through this podcast to the end. Um, so please go ahead and give me a call if you need help in your case, and just mention that you heard my podcast, and I'm going to go ahead and take fifty dollars off your case. So you can call me at two five four eight nine nine five six eight four, and please. Also, check out my website. Again, my website is www.future4family.com. Uh, and you can also follow me on Facebook uh, for tons and tons of good information. I've got tons of followers on there, and it's really good stuff. So www.facebook.com forward slash FFC. Fathers, F-A-T-H-E-R-S. Uh, and like I said, you can get tons of information on there to help you through your cases free of charge. Um, and basically all the tools needed to strengthen and repair broken families. So thank you. Please share this podcast. Give me feedback on what you all would like to hear. And have a blessed week. Thank you.